0: To take a moment and thank our sponsor. If you have a laser device for training and you want to take it to the next level, or if you're looking to get into using a laser device for training, check out the products at laserapp.com. L A S R A P P.com. You can use code CSP2021 for 15% off the items you've selected. And thanks for checking them out. Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooter Podcast, your premier podcast for the Casual Shooter. This week you have me, you have Leo. Howdy. And you have Huggy. Hey. (laughs) Well, that was enthusiastic, maybe. (laughs) That's new. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's too early.
1: He's talking to everybody in Star Wars land.
0: Don't mind him. He is a, uh, this might sound inappropriate, maybe a black bear coming out of hibernation. Yes. So, I mean, so we're almost into spring, so yes. you got to roll with it. Yes. All right. So, <laughs> this week, we have multiple guests, courtesy of Hornady. As you guys might remember, I was just at SHOT Show, and I had a brief, and I mean brief, conversation with Seth Swerzyk, um about some ballistics and some bullets Well, we are going to greatly expand on that today. So before we get started, I recommend everybody go get a tall cup of coffee with several extra shots of caffeine because we're about to dive in head first all the way up to our ankles. So with that, let's welcome Seth Swerzik and Jaden Quinlan to the show. How are you doing, guys?
2: Doing good. Thanks for having us.
0: Awesome. Okay, why don't you guys take a moment and introduce yourselves before we get into the questioning.
2: Sure. Well, I'm Seth Swarzik. I'm the marketing
3: communications manager here at Hornady. Uh, Jaden Quinlan, uh, senior ballistician. So we have a legit expert. Ugh, debatable. We'll find out by the end of this, huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay.
0: All right, guys. So what we normally do is we start off with five questions to get to know our guests. They're more personal. So we, we learn the personal side of you. <laughs> Before we get into the the meat of the topic, awesome. Okay,
1: all right, Leo, take it away. So, I'm fortunate enough to get the first question, uh, which is my favorite question, personally. Um, and we'll you guys can answer in whatever order. But uh, the first question is, what is your favorite
3: movie? It's going to be the same, isn't it?
2: Probably not. But <laughs> oh. I mean, I, I, oh, man, I'd have to, I'd have a hard time narrowing it down to one i know right away you do yeah i've got jeremiah johnson tombstone Ooh. uh smoky and the bandit varsity blues
1: Whoa. yeah
2: the program all good
1: all nice good
2: man and then then you get into the all the will ferrell stepbrothers uh <laughs> ron burgundy or the anchorman man. uh the hangover <laughs> pretty eclectic <laughs> group I there full metal,
1: along. i mean yeah. obviously
2: full metal jackets got to be in there uh that uh, I, I couldn't pick just one out of there. But th- that's my vomit of, of movies that I could watch over and over and over and over and over, and over, and over again.
1: Okay. That's uh, fair I enough. I think we I just like became it. best friends. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> I don't
3: have a list that long, but uh, number one is Jeremiah Johnson. Number two is The Outlaw Josie Wales.
0: Oh, that was mine. The Outlaw Josie Wales. What a great movie. And you guys just became best friends. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so far best episode we just got two new best friends uh i have to say that i'm really actually to hear somebody even say mention uh varsity blues and the program i'm like that's that's just awesome because nobody talks about those films you know unless you're an athlete or something of that nature and know that from back in that time it's just like So when you said that, I'm just like, oh, my God, somebody actually knows what I've gone through.
2: I've probably watched a hundred times. I mean, yeah, big fan.
1: Oh, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, but we'll keep on moving on with the questions. Uh, I'm going to throw my question out to both of you all. Uh, What is your favorite book? Hmm.
2: I think the, Silence. yeah, well, I, so my answer <laughs> this happens is, a lot. Uh, is, is I've read, you know, some books as an adult that, that were like, wow, I'm glad I read that book. And I've read that book again and again and again, and I've listened to the auto book and whatever, but I think the, the, the book that comes to mind the most, uh, or series of books rather is more childish and that's kind of why I was silent because it's kind of a childish answer, but, uh, there's a, an author named Gary Paulson and he wrote a series of children's books and the, the series of books that start with the book called hatchet, um, was probably, you know, I've read that book starting in maybe third or fourth grade. And I read that book, uh, when I was in college and and had the flu and I was home for like two days straight. I read that book. Um, Uh, So Hatchet and that series of books thereafter probably for me.
1: Okay.
0: What are they about?
2: Uh, Hatchet is about a boy. I think his name was Brian Robinson. And he is going to Canada to visit his dad. His parents are divorced. And the small bush plane crash lands into a lake. And he has to survive in the Canadian wilderness for until he gets discovered, basically, and found. Uh, And that's the book called Hatchet. And I think in the book, it portrays them as being 13 or 14 in the early nineties. They came out with the movie. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm a big fan. It was a pivotal book for me as a, as a child growing up.
0: Now, now they have a TV series for adults called alone.
2: Yep. I don't watch a whole lot of TV, but I, that sounds like something I'd be interested in.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, um, they put 10 people out. They bring they have a certain number of items they can bring and they survive as long as they can. Winner gets I forget how six figure mm. money. Like a quarter or a half, might be a half a million.
2: Jaden,
1: are you busy? You can run out there and <laughs> win that <laughs>
2: quick. <laughs> They're we'll about the to time. take a
1: leave of absence. Right. <laughs> They're like, that's on the TV show, that's my vacation. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's like, who's been filming us? <laughs>
3: so all right jaden um i've got a lot of favorite books i've i read a lot and have read a lot for a long time um i'll give you a, i'll give you two maybe kind of one that it's a it's a fiction usually i read nonfiction, a lot of history stuff um but this one i heard about it on a radio show years and years and years ago the author was getting interviewed and uh i thought well that's an interesting premise i'll buy the book and read it and it turned out to be a book i've read three or four times uh, it's, it's called the dog stars hmm. i don't remember the author um it's kind of it's kind of relevant in the era of covid it starts out with like a, a flu type pandemic thing hmm. it's kind of an end of the world style book but not your typical like you know romantic tactical end of the world the hero story it's more of the darker side of what would probably be realistic in that but um so that would be a fiction book uh, from a nonfiction standpoint in relating to what this podcast is about ballistics. Uh, I would say there's a book that's just going into publication. It's kind of lived as an ebook for years, uh, maybe in the underground, it's not well known. Um, but it's just going into, <clears throat> just going into print. Now I actually got my copy from the author this week. It's called, uh, ammunition demystified Seth. I know you've read I that. I need to get a copy so of Jeff that. just sent me a copy. Uh, it's by Jeff Seward. Um, phenomenal guy, uh, uh, great mentor of mine i've learned a lot from him over the years uh so put a put a plug in for his because if if there's anybody out there interested in ammunition or ballistics or you know more Mm -hmm. than a a surface level view you know you want to get under the under the hood a little bit and see how things work i i know of no better book than that in in you know cover to cover format
2: awesome having having read that book uh when i first got a hold of it i was not working in ballistics and it was Wildly in depth, uh, incredibly well written and incredibly dense. I mean, there it was just pa- there there was some stuff in there that I had to read three or four times just to get a grasp on it. But mm-hmm. yeah, like Jaden said, nothing as well written and as thorough as that.
1: <laughs> uh that sounds good. Cause I had never heard of it. And uh, I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty cool. I think I might have to Dave and I are gonna end Leo get had to delve into that. See what we can find. So, my uh, we'll next beat, question for both of you all mm-hmm. is my favorite question um, is Who is your favorite superhero?
2: That's a, a tough question <laughs> to answer because uh, growing up, I was never overly interested in any of the generic superheroes and by generic, just like Batman, Superman, and and, and the rest of those. Uh, and I didn't really watch a whole lot of those cartoons and I've, I wasn't into comic books and I've to this day, never really seen any, any of those movies that have come out in the last decade and a half. Uh, so mm, I would say if I had to pick one of the generic superheroes, uh, Batman would be one just cuz my kids like him and I've I've spent the majority of the last 6 years uh with uh watching and playing Batman and dressing up as Batman in some instances <laughs> so from a generic uh type superhero uh Batman would be a good one and then then another type generic answer I guess would be the old man. Uh, I was going to say you could- yeah Joe Swersic that was he was a hell of a mentor and a hell of a father and uh, I've talked about this in some of our podcasts before, but you know, you have a father and I had a, an amazing father, uh, worked himself into the dirt provided for his family was just awesome. Taught me how to hunt, taught me a lot of things, a lot of, uh, a lot of good advice. And then as I grew up and became my own man and, and doing my own things, uh, you know, I kind of reconnected with my father, but now I don't need him as a father figure for fatherly things. And we connected more of on a friendship level mm-hmm. and, uh, it, it's just been been a blessing for all of my life to have him around.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Great answer. Yes. So we'll head on over to Jaden.
3: Uh, I'm going to have to <clears throat> pretty much parody Seth to the word. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, never really got into you know Seth's dad. <laughs> well, yes. I was like, oh, that's Papa <laughs> Joe is an awesome man. I will absolutely <laughs> agree and attest like, to, to that. Are you guys like step brothers? Uh, is that why <laughs> they made the movie? <laughs> Uh, you know, I've never, never really got into, you know, the superhero movies or comic books or anything like that. I, I, I've never, never really messed with any of that stuff. Uh, if I was going to maybe pull a superhero figure out, uh, maybe from the last question from books I've read, stuff like that, uh, um, uh, John Galt from Atlas Shrugged is a pretty interesting character. Um, but yeah, I would say the real superheroes in my life are that are, are the actual people I've had. Um, people within my family, people that I've met along the road to sitting here today. Um, I did not get where I am by myself. It was because of all the people that I've had in my life. So they they would be the superheroes, I'd,
1: I'd say. Awesome. Awesome. I love deep answers. It makes me so happy. That's awesome. <laughs> so <clears throat> we're going to start transitioning a little bit into kind of why we have you guys on here. So the next question is uh, your favorite gun and your favorite caliber and they don't have a match. Sure. I think my favorite
2: gun is right now it's chambered in six millimeter arc, but it's a, um, big horn action, big horn. Uh, they're out in Nebraska, but they make world-class actions. So it's a big horn action in a manners PRS one, uh, stock. Uh, Right now, it's got a Bartland 22-inch 6-millimeter arc barrel on there and a Vortex uh, Razor LHT 4.5-22. to And that is my favorite rifle. I've got an Arca system on there, so I can drop it into a tripod. It's not horribly heavy. The stock is as comfortable of a stock as you'll ever uh, shoot uh, with the thumb shelf and the adjustable cheek piece. It just is balanced. Uh, I feel comfortable shooting antelope deer obviously prairie dogs. I could, I ran the mammoth sniper challenge with that rifle. Like it's just a really balanced, nice shooting rifle. Um, and it's not necessarily that it's chambered in six arc right now. It's just the, the balance of the whole system. I can shoot to thousand plus yards and I can hunt with it and I can, as you do a lot of things and it's probably the, my favorite rifle I've ever built. Um, and then his favorite cartridge, I'm going to have to say six, five Creed more I had nothing to do with the design of that cartridge or anything, but uh, me starting here in 2013 and cutting my teeth in the competitive circuit and shooting stuff far away and 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 hunting and stuff, the 6.5 Creedmoor was really the do-it-all. I could shoot matches with it. You could shoot bench rest with it. You can go hunting with it. It's just if you had to pick one and done on a short-action standard bolt face, the 6.5 Creedmoor is, is really hard to beat and factory ammo with a factory rifle or a custom rifle, our, our factory ammo quality has increased, you know, to the point where you don't hand load to get that performance, you hand load to maybe duplicate it. It just shoots really, really well. So for me, uh, six 6.5 preed more on the cartridge.
0: Nice. All right.
3: <clears throat> That's a hard one for me to answer. Um, I'm pretty fortunate in what I get to do every day for work that, you know, my access to different guns and firearm systems and stuff is almost limitless. Um, my favorite though might be, uh, the, Leo might like this one because maybe it's more of a deep answer to that question. Uh, <clears throat> when I was a kid, I got a Remington 700 uh, 223 that uh, a mentor of mine back then got for me because uh, I think I was 13 or so. I had a 22 Magnum before that, but so this was my first center fire cartridge. And I still have that rifle today, but I would say Uh, the, the fire that was lit within me from a passion of ballistics standpoint, all those years ago, uh, was facilitated because of that rifle. Um, that's what allowed me to start pushing limits and kind of learning the hard way. A lot of those, those lessons, um, that we now know in, in, you know, physics today or whatever, I was kind of figuring it out the reverse way by doing it and doing it wrong most of the time until I did it right. Uh, so yeah, just an old 223 varmint. Uh, Remington 700, which I still have today. I don't know how many rounds are on it. It still shoots. Um, there's got to be fifteen, twenty thousand 20,000 rounds on the thing. But
0: Wow. That's quite a bit. That's pretty good. All right. I know you guys do um, quite a bit of hunting. So, the last question we normally do is one It's a little more particular to you guys, and since you guys do hunting... What is the most tasty animal you have been able to take?
2: For me, no questions asked, antelope. 100%, no questions asked. Any game animal I've ever eaten, ever, antelope is top of the heap. There's just nothing better when you properly take care of an antelope and, and that meat is unfortunately really low in volume. You don't get a lot of it, but it's it's really mild it's it's almost got a sweet flavor to it and again you can ruin all of that by uh, improper game care but man uh, of, of any wild game i've ever had antelope no question
0: okay
3: um, mine would probably be some of the african plains game species i was fortunate enough to get to go to south africa a couple of years ago and uh that exposed parts of my palate i didn't know existed as far as game meat goes um incredible uh hmm. i mean they know how to prepare it and everything you know i i would probably make it taste like a leather shoe if i was to cook it cuz i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> but uh yeah that was otherworldly as far as the flavor of meat goes
0: wow okay what specifically did you have when you were over there
3: oh well <clears throat> The whole gambit, um, Eland, Kudu, Gemsbuck, Warthog. I mean, I think they cooked everything that we had killed that trip. It was, I think Eland, Eland was probably the best Eland backstrap.
0: Yeah. Okay. How was the Warthog wasn't gaming?
3: No, not. I mean, you, you, you would have paid a lot of money at a restaurant to eat that type of, of, food it was it was insane um so yeah there was no no gaminess really to it at all i would describe
1: well I'm and sure that, Elon the, the and kudu those, those are big animals
3: they are absolutely yeah for north american stuff i'd say elk Was okay. my favorite
0: okay <clears throat> all right now getting into the actual meat of the topic ha 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 uh i'm sorry Um, it it really seems like um everything with hornady changed about the time you guys got the uh doppler so can you guys go into how that has changed your bullet design um, and everything else that you do now since you got the doppler and how it did that
3: Absolutely, yeah. So we we purchased the Doppler radar we have now in late 2013 and started using it in 2014. Um, and the best analogy I can give you on on how that increased our capability is traditionally uh, within the industry, within ammunition manufacturers, within the industry, and also you know within like your podcast, the casual shooting market. We're using chronographs uh, of various sorts, right? You have skyscreen chronographs. You have um, like the magneto speed style. You have the lab radar now, you know, which is a radar, but kind of still functions. It gives you one data point, right? Your muzzle velocity, right. a couple downrange, but essentially you're looking at one is, is the usable number. So the point of that being all those different instrumentation, uh, what they provide you is a is a picture. A picture is one data point in time, right? You, you froze that frame of that point in time, and that's one data point in time. What a Doppler radar is, is a video Recorder, so if you if you think of that as the analogy, the amount of you know a picture is worth a thousand words, right? Well, how much is a video worth? Who knows? Depends on the content of the video, how long it's played for, the resolution, all those things. But it's way more than a picture, right? So, Doppler right. radar lets you take a video of a bullet's drag behavior versus taking a picture with a chronograph or an acoustic target or any of those other methods. So that kind of gives you the idea of how much of a leap that gives you and what you can learn. But you're exactly right. Uh, Once we got the Doppler radar and started using it and, and measuring bullets on it, you see things you could never see before. It's like watching something in high speed versus real speed. You know, you learn things that are happening that you didn't even know existed.
0: Kind of like the, um, oh shoot. now I'm trying to remember the older polymer tip.
3: Right. The heat shield tip process. Yeah exactly right yeah that that was the first major discovery with that radar uh we were using it to get you know essentially better bc measurements back then this is pre-ford off um bc was still the prominent method for doing trajectory calculations and so bc changes as a function of velocity so as your bullet travels downrange the bc will be changing on you to varying degrees depending on the bullet um, but the problem there is that the BC is changing, and we need to figure out what the BC is to plug into our program to give us the best numbers to hit our target, right? That's the goal. Well, <clears throat> industry-wide, the, the old standard has been to measure your BCs with a, with a chronograph, uh, which is typically done at one, two, or maybe 300 yards, because you have to be able to shoot the bullet through the chronograph, right, to get it to measure it. So you can't really yeah. set up a chronograph at 1,500 yards downrange because you're probably going to hit the chronograph itself and ruin your instrumentation, you know. So it's limited in that way. Um, but that was the industry standard. Well, those BCs from manufacturers, uh, those older BCs were were accurate for where they were measured, which was at one or two or three hundred yards. But as a long distance shooter, you'll find out if you plug that BC number in and then you go shoot at eight, nine thousand, and beyond, that the BC didn't predict correctly. It didn't show what was actually right. happening when you shot. So what we originally did with the Doppler radar is we were measuring BCs at eight hundred or thousand or fifteen hundred yards, you know, however much of the data we could gather, which gave you a much better BC prediction. Um, But then things just totally evolved from there. Uh, But that was that was the start of it.
0: So that's that's exactly how or why people had to true their data, correct? Mm And your ballistic calculator? Well, that's
3: well, yes, that the the BC changing as a function of velocity. That is why. Yes, that's correct.
0: Yeah. That, and that's what I mean. That's the mm-hmm. whole reason. Cause it wouldn't, you know, it would give you in, in the general area of your impact, but then you'd have to make adjustments from there and then mm-hmm. you could go back and adjust now. So while we're talking about ballistic coefficient, I know we're going to transition to drag coefficient here shortly, but What is the difference between a G1 BC and a G7
3: BC? Okay, so a a G1 BC, uh, these are are a reference. And I'm going to use an analogy here that isn't 100% technically accurate, but it will convey the point in a way that most people will understand it. And I think there's validity in that. So let's talk about a BC first before we talk about the difference of G1 and G7. What is a BC? A BC is a fuel mileage rating for your bullet. So if we analyze or uh, analogize that to a vehicle, you know, your vehicle gets different fuel mileage depending on how you're driving it, right? City, highway, uphill, downhill, mm-hmm. headwind, tailwind, all those different um, environmental circumstances change your fuel mileage, right? Well, a BC is trying to do the same thing. It, it's giving you one number that's going to try to predict the fuel mileage of your bullet, which is how fast does it slow down? That's what really matters. So we're using this one number to try to predict that. The problem is that when when you pick a BC, we just said that BC changes with velocity as the bullet goes downrange. The BC changes, so you have to pick one number, right? In a, in a traditional BC calculator, you put one BC value. So it's where where did you pick that number? Did that number come from the bullet driving uphill? driving downhill, driving on flat ground, driving in the city. Where was it? So that's kind of the, the limitation of, of BC. Now, what is G1 versus G7? So a G1 BC is based off of a flat base, pretty short ogive bullet. It was a German Krupp artillery cartridge in the late 1800s. So if you think of BC, we're still using it today. That comes all the way, you know, that's over a 100-year-old kind of data and technology. Now, the G7 was a German, uh, German long-range artillery cartridge from the early 1940s. So essentially, the, the Germans had figured out that if we start changing the shape of the bullet, it changes how fast it slows down. And the more we can make it retain velocity, the better results we get from an artillery perspective, right? The, the slower it slows down, um, the less it's going to drop due to gravity, the less it's going to deflect due to the wind, all those things that are out of our control, right? So the Germans figured out if you change shape, it changes the drag enough so that those original G1 calculations didn't work anymore. So the fuel mileage of the G1, which would be like a bus, the fuel mileage of a bus, was no longer accurate in predicting the fuel mileage of the race car, which was the G7 shape, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well put. So e- even it. the G7 is 80 years old. That's correct. Wow. Wow. So and I take it the Doppler radar brings us into the twenty teens, twenty twenties.
3: Yeah, so so that would be, you know, moving away from um moving away from ballistic coefficient to drag coefficient. So drag coefficient isn't as well known by the shooting community, but it is at the base of ballistic coefficient. You can't get ballistic coefficient without drag coefficient. Now, what drag coefficient is, is a measurement of the it's a Essentially, a, like a unitless measurement of um, a bullet's drag due to its shape. So mainly what you're looking at is the shockwave formation that occurs in, in supersonic flight, right? When something breaks the sound barrier, you have a, a supersonic shockwave that forms. So what that CD versus Mach curve is, if any of your listeners have ever looked at one, is... Um, what that is telling you is essentially how the shock waves are forming or changing in magnitude or placement within the bullet and how that changes the drag of it. Because when those shock waves form or attach that, that changes the drag, how fast it's slowing down. Uh, You could think of that as like a, an easy analogy there. If, if anybody's sky, uh, done any skydiving or anything, if you jump out of the plane and you keep your arms and your, your, uh, your legs tucked in tight and you're going, you know, head first, and then you throw just your arms out to the side, and then you throw your arms and your legs out to the side obviously you're increasing the drag right and you're going to slow down a little bit that's the same thing that's happening with the the mock uh, formations on the bullet because it's breaking the speed of sound just
2: real quick to uh, throw some color commentary onto that that is not technical at all but he said cd versus mock curve so drag coefficient is abbreviated to capital c lowercase d cd uh just to clear that up because that that can be confusing to okay. people. So when you hear CD versus mock, that's drag coefficient versus speed of sound.
1: Yeah. Okay. Thank you. The simpleton in me was like, I, okay. I got you, Leo. Sorry. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you.
0: So instead of being DC, it's yeah. CD.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And okay. so, so what that CD or drag coefficient versus mock curve is, that's the fuel mileage of your bullet in every driving condition possible so where b where bc was just one you're either gonna so if you you think about it i'm gonna make a road trip across america and i get one shot at determining how much gas i need to get exactly to my destination like i'm running out of gas as i pull into my destination that's the goal right well you get one fuel mileage to pick are you going to pick the uphill the downhill the flatland, the headwind, the tailwind, the in town, the highway, what fuel mileage are you going to pick? That's what BC does. What, what CD versus mock or drag coefficient does is says, you know, the the cars nowadays will give you the, the, the real time fuel mileage, right on the little screen. That's Mm -hmm. what CD versus mock is. It's measuring the real time fuel mileage as you're in process and updating your, your, what's left in your tank, essentially. That's what CD versus Mach is doing. It's actually measuring the bullets drag through its entire flight path. And then when that's used for a ballistic prediction, it's extremely accurate because you accounted for everything that's actually going to happen versus just picking an arbitrary fuel mileage number and trying to make it match your entire road trip across America.
1: Cool. I just want to say, I love how you're Mm -hmm. using the analogies uh, to, to to explain things, because I'm telling you, it is great that you do that. Because, again, in your in your profession, you're at a certain level, and then there's people that are outside your profession that are not at that level. And to the way you you're breaking it down, and of course, I, I always say breaking it down, Barney style. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 like, oh wow. I actually can see it visualize it and understand exactly what you're saying so now i'm like wow this is what i'm talking about this is what i want to know this is how i definitely want to go taking my game to the next level so i i love your analogy so keep up the that that's amazing good thank you
0: (laughs) (laughs) so and i assume this is where your videotape doppler information really comes into play
3: yes yeah so so i guess this kind of segues into ford off a little bit yeah, absolutely um, because ford off uses that videotape of the drag curve instead of the picture that the that the bc programs are using um, it uses that videotape of the drag curve plus a whole bunch of other things now most people will think of ford off as oh it just uses the radar drag curve you know that's why it's so much better and that is true plus a whole bunch of other things um so it, it uh, you tell me if you want to go down that rabbit hole or not, or I know you had a kind of a list of topics today. So. Before we yeah, go down yeah. that
2: rabbit hole or before we move on, just for any listeners that are unfamiliar, when we say Ford off, that is the Hornady ballistic solution uh, app. You download that on your phone or on your iPad or whatever. It's free of charge. And that's the ballistic computer that, that Jaden has, has developed. And so just, just so anybody that hears us talking about Ford off, um, that is the the physical application that you can download on your phone for free that uses that uh, radar-derived uh, drag coefficient for trajectory solutions.
0: Now, you can also do that on your website too, correct?
2: You certainly yep. can, yep. And in the Kestrel okay. as well. Yeah, Oh, yeah, we have we do
0: have a Kestrel. Okay. Um, I, I do want to go down that route. Um, before we get there, um, I, I guess to... Uh, Maybe we've already touched on it, um, but in your last podcast that you guys put out, Mm -hmm. you specifically used two terms that I wanted to get into. You said, um, with the radar and all of that, there have been aeroballistic advancements and geometric changes. Mm -hmm. So, and that's where I know, you know, in 2014, that's when all of that started. But what type of aerodynamic and geometric changes specifically? I think I know what they are, but I want to hear what you guys say they are.
3: Well, some of them I can't talk about in specifics. Okay. Um, Fair for enough. For reasons that hopefully will be evident in coming time. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, <clears throat> but the, one, the ones that we can talk about, uh, heat shield tip specifically, um, okay, what, what we figured out with the with the radar there was that traditionally used polymer tipped bullets so that was ours as well as other manufacturers out there <clears throat> the the material that was used in those tips would suffer from aerodynamic heating. so when that bullet is is breaking the speed of sound that's a that's a there's a lot of energy that's that's present there right and that that comes in the form of heat. And that plastic was essentially uh, deforming because of that heat. Now, to your point of of geometric things, the mipla or point of the bullet, the very tip, is very critical to, to the drag characteristics of a bullet. So as that gets bigger in diameter, the drag will go up or your BC will get lower. And so what, ha- what happened with those, those polymer tips that were deforming in flight is that meat that platter, the tip of that bullet was getting bigger in diameter because it was essentially scrunching back a little bit. And so that was causing your BC to go down. So in, in the, the whole heat shield tip era discovery, what we figured out was a classification of polymer that had a ability to resist heat. That was high enough to overcome what was present in the bullet in flight. And so now that tip maintained its its size and shape. And as a result, the drag was lowered and the BCs went up. So that's what you saw, you know, in, <clears throat> in the transition from Amax to ELD match, and then ELDX came out at that same time. That was that technology. Now that the those polymer tips that that suffer from aerodynamic heating, it wasn't all of them across the board. It was dependent on a couple things um one of them was the general drag of the bullet so if you want to talk about it from a bc perspective you had to have a bc of of, of a g1 bc of over about 0. .5 so anything with a g1 of 0. .5 or above was was able to suffer from this 0. .5 or okay. below it didn't happen and the reason for that was the bullet hmm. slowed down too fast as that bullet slows down the heat is 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 reduced yeah it's reduced it dissipates um, yeah all right so so at a 0.5 G1 or above, you maintain speed long enough that the heat can become a problem. Velocity was the next part of it. The faster you push them, the hotter things get. And then the third part is uh, ambient air temperature will affect it. So if you do it in the middle of winter versus a hot mm. summer day, it, the deformation will be different. And so wow. that kind of gives you an idea that, uh, of that discovery.
0: Wow. That Yeah, that's a lot more than just, oh, you know, this material is unable to withstand those temperatures that's very interesting Mm -hmm. now i would also think though and maybe this is what you were saying you can't talk about but i feel like it also changed the ogive of the bullets you know the the actual shape to you know you're able to find stuff out on that video where you would change the actual shape and length of the bullet in order to maintain those uh, speeds, that velocity at, at greater distance.
3: Yes. <clears throat> um That's also been a, a long understood phenomena. Maybe you could call it. I mean, you can go back to uh modern exterior ballistics by Robert McCoy. That's a back to your question on books. That's a fantastic one. If anybody's interested in getting in the weeds on ballistics, that one's extremely uh math heavy though. Yeah. So beware. That, that's like the original. I mean, that is the, old, yeah. So like... McCoy, you could consider Robert McCoy kind of the, the, father of modern commercial ballistics. I mean, he did a lot of work for DOD um, and obviously had his hand in, in that aspect of it, but, but his work kind of pioneered the, the ballistic calculator space for civilians, maybe you could say. Um, But within that book, you know, he documents all that stuff. That stuff's been well understood of, of what um ogive length does, what ogive radius does, different shapes, boat tail diameters and lengths and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that was pre-established and, and published, you know, even back in the 60s. Now, are we learning maybe little details with between those published data points that are, you know, 60 years old? Absolutely. And that's what the radar allows okay. you to see.
0: Yeah, that's what I figured I figured it. It, you would be able to find the weaknesses and be able to tweak things. So, mm-hmm. uh, let me get back to my questions over here. All right. Before we actually get into the, the um, Fordoff itself, I wanted to get into a few more things. Um, let me come down to bullet tips. Since we're talking bullet tips, Seth and I talked about this a little bit at Shot, but what I would like to talk about is the difference between the aluminum tip and then the ELDM and the ELDX and how they all differ. Mm-hmm. They're all super um, aerodynamic, but they each do different things and why they have their own uh,
3: place. Sure um so looking at eld match and eldx first since they're both using a polymer tip the the benefit that the polymer tip gives you is as i said earlier that meat plat or that tip of the bullet is is extremely critical in the drag of the bullet so when you let's look at a bowtail hollow point we'll back up to that design with a bowtail hollow point you're essentially taking what is like a cup a, a, a water cup or a glass for water you're taking that that's made out of copper and you're trying to to squeeze it down into the ogive shape that you're going to have on a finished bullet. You're trying to squeeze that copper down and trying to get the tip where all that copper decides to come to a stopping point. You're trying to get that the same every single time. Well, it's just not going to happen, right? That material is going to flow differently. It's going to it's going to, it's not going to be uniform on the very point of that bullet every time. So when you go to a polymer tip like we have on the ELD match and the ELDX, that's made in, a, in an injection mold. And so the The cavity of that mold is, is static, right? That never changes. And so those tips come out the exact same every single time. And so what you can then do is you, you know, cut the top of that boat tail hollow point off essentially, and put a perfect tip on it. So now every single bullet has a perfect tip and it's the exact same tip that all the other bullets had before and after it. And so you get consistency from that. So with a boat tail hollow point, you'll struggle from that. Um, within a lot, you can have issues with it, and definitely lot to lot. You know, any of your listeners, go go pop open five or six boxes of boat tail hollow points of different lots of of bullets and look at them, and they're not the same; they're all different. Now you go do that with any of the tipped bullets, and they're identical, right? Because that comes from a mold; they're they're made the same. Now um, the the ELDX, um, there's also some benefits of of the tip and the way it is uh, for expansion, because obviously that's a hunting bullet. So we do use that tip to initiate the expansion of the bullet. So essentially when that bullet hits terminal media, an animal that tip drives back inside of the jacket of the bullet and forces it open. So it doesn't matter what you hit as far as the terminal media goes, soft tissue, cartilage, bone, you know, whatever it is, those are all different densities that tip sets back in the exact same way and causes it to expand the exact same way. So it also adds consistency to your terminal performance, how the bullet expands because it's happening because of the tip. Um, not because of what you hit now on the a tip the aluminum tip um, what we were doing there was taking taking that you know call it front half of the ogive beyond where we could with polymer so polymer is not as hard or rigid as aluminum um, so the longer you get it the weaker it becomes so what you'll see with most of the a tips if you compare them to a, uh, a a caliber matched eld match so you look at a 30 cal a tip versus a 30 cal eld match you'll see the tip is longer on the a tip and that's because aluminum is more rigid so we could we could push the length of the tip out and different aspects of it to maximize the performance in a way that you can't with polymer because it doesn't have the strength to do it when you make mm-hmm. it that long okay wow Once yeah, one thing so to I, address I, on sorry go ahead no go
0: right ahead seth
2: I was just going to say one thing to address on the aluminum tip front that i get this question a lot being in marketing and we did when we when i was still working with Jaden, um is is it a hunting bullet can you use that material for hunting and like Jaden mentioned one of the benefits of the polymer is that it drives back and it's slightly compressible where with the aluminum tip i shot a whole bunch of them into ballistics gel uh and really what we found was that since that aluminum's not compressible, it would basically break off and I could recover the entire tip undeformed inside the gel. And then the bullet would end over end tumble and eventually rip some of the jacket off. So the terminal performance was very, very uh, inconsistent at best. Um, and it's because that tip doesn't compress and set back. So just I wanted to for any of your listeners that are thinking about it, uh, just because it's a hyper accurate bullet. And it's got all the, all the cool guy features that make it really good for long range shooting. That aluminum tip does not bode well for consistent bullet upset. So definitely don't recommend them for hunting.
0: And and that's what we touched on, um, at shot too, was I asked, you know, why ELDX and ELDM, why am I not shooting ELDX in competition? And it'd be the same thing that I would be hunting with. Yeah. And, you know, we came up with, you could. Yeah, yeah people that was do. the point of it. Yeah, that, so, that was the whole yeah. point. Yeah,
2: as Jason Hornady had said, a hunting bullet you can win a match with.
0: Yeah. So, and then I started looking at the A tip and comparing with the polymer, and I I know that the trend is to go towards the drag coefficient because you you have so much more data; it's so much more accurate than the BC is. But the BC on the A tip is what i would consider to be somewhat significant as compared to the polymer and i guess you answered it just because of the way you can lengthen the tip and control everything um is is that correct is that what the difference is
3: absolutely yeah when you go to when you go to aluminum you kind of get rid of the limitations of polymer that exist and so we could take the bullet design to a new level
2: That's a good point you brought up, Dave, is that uh, B.C. as as old school, traditional and inaccurate as using B.C. for trajectory solutions has become, it's still a wide, widely, widely used comparative value. You know, a Mm -hmm. lot of folks, you know, when you're looking at a box of this and a box of that, you can just compare the two based on B.C., and that'll be, that'll be hard to get the industry to go away from because from a comparative standpoint, it's a, it's a number that generally most people understand and they can make a comparative assessment between the two. And, um, that's a yeah, good example of why we still publish BCs because a lot of people still rely on them to make decisions.
0: So you guys, all right, all right. Uh, this is just something off the cuff here. Do you guys see the Doppler radar being used to change the way BCs are calculated, maybe?
3: Yeah. um, (laughs) There's not a standard that's established. So, you know, within the small arms ammunition realm, there's a lot of standards in place that are adhered to for velocity and pressure and barrel lengths and twist rates and and all those right. things right There's you know sammy's the governing body that we look to in the united states to do that um right. you don't have that for drag measurements or or bc publication it's essentially left to whatever the manufacturer can come up with and it's like i had mentioned earlier mm. you know prior to doppler radar everybody was using a a chronograph you know an, or an acoustic target so all the BCs that you saw published in the '80s, '90s, and early 2000s were all at one, two, or three hundred yards. Well, now Hornady comes out with a Doppler radar. Generally, what happens is as you as you look further and further downrange, the BC will degrade, and and that happened with the with the uh, with the deformation of the tips, right? The discovery of, right. of uh, heat shield tip that prevented it, but he. That, that's a that's a separate issue on why the BC was degrading. That was a, the, the tip issue. But in general, depending on the bullet shape, to a lesser, to greater or lesser degree, the BC will lower itself as the velocity gets lower and lower and lower. So the, the problem then becomes, if I give you a BC, to, to Seth's point of it's a comparative metric, you have to be careful because you have to compare apples to apples you have to know at what point the bc was calculated at and that's the kind of turmoil we're in right now within not only the industry but also you know the customers the question that has to be asked to know if you're comparing apples to apples is how was this bc derived at what mock number or velocity was this bc calculated for because i can take if i wanted to be dishonest about it i could take and measure my <clears throat> bc at 50 yards Where the velocity is really high so my bc is going to be higher at that higher velocity than it would be at the lower velocity if i measured it at 800 yards i could take that bc measurement at 50 yards and put it on a box and it's not a lie i just didn't tell you where the bc was measured so really the question that needs to be asked is a a standardized distance or method of calculating it the problem is is the. Cost prohibitiveness of the Doppler radar, though it's extremely expensive compared to a chronograph. So, although many, many major manufacturers within the industry have now got a Doppler radar and adopted that technology, there's still some that haven't. And so, how do you bridge that gap? You know, do you do you force everybody to to spend a lot of money to be able to get that one little BC number? I don't know the answer to that. But, but for your users in making comparative metrics, because Seth's right, it's common language. It makes it easy to make a comparison. And it's a generally good tra- trajectory prediction tool. I mean, it works pretty well, right? We're pushing the limits now where it's ex- the, the errors of it are exposed blatantly. But out to four or 500 yards, a BC calculation works fine. It's, there's no problem with it. Um, but if your listeners are using it as a comparative <laughs> metric, it's a really important thing to know where was the BC calculated. And you'll see if you go on our website, It's a hornery.com slash BC. We have a table in there of all the BCs at three different mock numbers or velocities. And we explain all that in there to tell the user, if you're going to use BC, here's different BC values. And here's what they mean to you. If this is the style of shooting you're doing, you should use this BC. If this is the style of shooting you're doing, use this BC. And then we also publish the BCs at Mach 2.25, which is, would be a pretty standard, representation of if you measured a BC with a chronograph at two or 300 yards. So that's the comparative number. That's the number that we put on the box. That's the number that our, our labels are based on because that's what a guy's going to do uh, when he goes to the store. He's going to look at two boxes on the shelf and say, the BC's higher with this one. It must be better. I'm going to take it. The problem is he's not getting the, the full gas mileage story, right? He's not only going to use that bullet at the distance that the BC was measured at. He's going to use it, you know, way beyond that and so he makes the purchase goes and shoots figures out he has the problem before he ever knows that he was kind of had from the get-go because the the understanding of bc is is not well well established
0: yeah and and i i typed in exactly what you said and it comes right up with ballistic coefficient stuff and it's interesting interesting in that um i guess you guys were listing an 800 yard bc while most were using 200 yard BCs.
3: And we suffered so, from exactly what I just said. We we published yeah. 800 yard BCs. So our BCs were lower than all of our competitors in the, in the same right. class bullet, right? So the guy would go to the store and he'd look at the two and he'd say I'm going to go with this one cuz the BCs 20 points higher. Well, yeah, which is significant. It wasn't there it wasn't being it wasn't honest then. So that's when we went to that kind of tabular form that you see on the website there where you have a BC for Mach 2.25, 2.0 and 1.75. And up at the top yeah. of that, it, it describes to you, "Hey, here's what these mean to you, and here's how to use them."
0: Yeah, pretty. Uh, yeah, I like the way you guys broke it down, and exactly what you said. So that's
1: that's pretty good. Um, so, uh, okay. if you don't mind, I, I have just a question because for the average shooter that is taking that box and is going to go hunt with it, but may not go compete with it how much of a difference does that make for a guy that's not going to shoot past 350 yards
3: zero yeah yeah i mean the the easiest way to look at that is go open up any manufacturer's catalog where they have all the the ballistics of every round they produce like in our catalog we we list them all out to 500 yards Go look at the 500-yard drop values as you go down there, because you have the full spectrum of BCs, right, from 17 up to 50 BMG. I mean, there's quite the spectrum there. Go look at that. Right. Go look at the difference in trajectory at 500 yards, and it's very small. So from a hunting perspective, at traditional ranges out to two, three, four hundred 400 yards, trying to pick a bullet based on BC is a moot point. You should be picking a bullet based off its terminal performance, not based off the BC.
1: Okay. Uh, I I just wanted to make a statement. I actually find this very interesting because, to me, I like to do long distance shooting, and now this actually changes the the game. You know, because with the Doppler radar, I can see further down because I I wasn't thinking at the level that you gentlemen are, but you know I noticed that there was a problem because I'm sitting there going, why is it not? You know, I buy this box and I'm like, it says this, and then I shoot it and I'm like, man, that sucked because it just dropped for you know further down. So I'm got to do adjustments and everything of that nature. Having the Doppler radar system now and seeing the uh, seeing the trajectory and the in the and the drag and everything, it puts a totally different spin on things. Where I can now say, oh, when I pick up a box of Hornaday, I look at it and I'm like, okay, I'm going to look at this number versus that number like you're saying because you're right they were lying to me now i'm like wow they lied and i hate to say lied but they just used a standard number or distance and put mm-hmm. that number there and like you said you see that higher number that's what you're going to go for yeah so
3: it's the same thing if you bought a car based on the little sticker in the window that says right. it gets 35 miles to the gallon highway and you buy it and you go drive it and you get 30 miles to the gallon and you're like Versus what? What the extra five miles a gallon it's the exact thing <laughs> right yeah, he said,
0: that, puts a different spin on it, whatever. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: that that, uh, that, that Ford Off, though, like you just mentioned, Chris, that's exactly what we're talking about is you, you, know, you take a BCK calculator out, you run it out, and you're hitting your targets, and then you get to a certain range, and now you're, you've got to come up a tenth or two or three tenths here or whatever, and you have to fix that. Uh, well, with Ford Off using drag coefficient, your rate of first hit probability goes up. Because you're getting the actual drag. And then that brings into a whole other side of the equation where, so, okay, you missed at 800 yards because you were two-tenths low. So you come up two-tenths and you kind of, you fix the BC to give you the correct drop. Well, Mm -hmm. just like Jaden said, BC changes uh, with the speed of sound, velocity, and temperature. And so if you fix it one time, it doesn't fix it forever. It only fixes it long enough until you get a, a speed of sound change. Correct. Uh, so it's going to be off again, uh, and, and yeah, that just creates a whole bunch of problems. So we have a forward-off drag coefficient. First-round hit probability uh, is, is definitely increased because you're reliably getting the right trajectory solution.
0: Right. And, and for someone who taught people that would be traveling the world with an M40A1 rifle, I can tell you right now, that is exactly why we kept data books Every different condition that we shot in, because that was the only real way for us to know exactly what the dope was going to be for our guns in order to get that first round impact. Cause there was always a difference.
2: Yep. Yep. That's true. And in your business, you know, a first round impact is vitally important. You know, it's, yes, you know it is. In, in that game, it's not a piece of steel and, uh, Mm-mm. yeah, you, you, you have to know, and yeah, like, steel shoots back. Yeah, that uh that just keeping data, you know, back when I first started shooting matches, yeah, I had a 308 Winchester and I had a a little uh, composition notebook, the black and white composition notebook, but it was a little one with every time I ever shot and the temperature and the pressure and yeah. it was yeah, it was important to have that and and not that that's not still an important thing to to do and keep track of and keep record, but with Ford off, it's it's definitely a lot easier.
0: For sure. Until next
1: time, don't be a little bitch. Yeah.